Hello friends and welcome to the show. As the boss, you probably have had the unenviable task of having to let employees go. If you're like most bosses, you just kick it up to the HR department and let them take care of it. But each of you listening today has a responsibility to do this well. Our guest today on the show is Iris Culp. Her company is called IC Growth. And what she does is she helps individuals who are in career transition, i.e. people who have been let go. And right now in 2020, you know that this is a reality many of you have had to actually do. Iris makes the case that by doing this correctly, we are not only helping out the individual who's affected, but also our company's reputation in the long run. This one is particularly aimed at HR professionals, but I want you to listen carefully because each of you listening may have a hand in what it's like to trim a workforce. Doing it correctly is good for everyone involved. And that means it has to get done correctly. Iris, again, has great practical strategies, so definitely tune in and take notes for this one. So, you know what to do. Let's buckle up. It's time to roll. Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast. All right, Iris Culp, welcome to the show. Hi, Mac. I'm glad to be here. I'm really glad to have you too. It's fun because I always have people that refer people to guests and you were somebody that was referred to me. And what we're going to be chatting about today, I think is extremely relevant. We usually try not to date or timestamp our podcast episodes because I want these to be timeless. But I've been doing it more recently because right now we're faced with unprecedented times with a pandemic and no one really has any answers. And so maybe three or four years from now, when the next big crisis is here, someone's going to say, well, how did those people handle it during COVID-19? They go back and listen to the podcast and lo and behold, they find Iris Culp. So we find you here today with us. Thank you. Well, Iris, our topic is going to be kind of a broad one. We're going to be talking about career development. We're going to be talking about this really, really scary word called outplacement. And I think it's timeless today, too, because I hate to say it, a lot of people are losing their jobs and a lot of people are going to be in a career transition. So a ton of questions for you. But before we get to those, Iris, I was hoping you could share Something about your background with us and how you even got into this business of outplacement. Okay, certainly. So I have worked in the HR arena for 25 plus years. I'm not sure I actually want to count precisely all of them. But I have seen, you might say, outplacement, career transition, whatever term you might want to apply to it from pretty much every angle you could, I think, possibly experience it from. So from a personal angle, uh, four months out of college, my first role, uh, I was laid off on a day off and my neighbor actually told me that my department was gone uh, during a bike ride in my neighborhood. So uh, very tough, very, um, you know, now it's a funny story, but um, later in my career working in HR and moving through the organizations, I handled recruiting for American Airlines and did several national recruiting programs for them, have hired literally hundreds of people. And then I worked for the computer division within American called Sabre during the tech bubble that burst and unfortunately became highly skilled at structuring reductions in force. 
And uh, at that point, they were selling off and becoming uh, a spinoff and sold to another organization. So I've been through mergers, reductions. I've been laid off twice. The second time was very much I'm leaving. So perhaps I'll get laid off. So I know it can come at, at us at very different angles. From an organizational standpoint, it's, you know, never personal, but boy, from the, from the receiver standpoint, it's, you know, it's very personal. So while I was at the tech company and got really good, so to speak, at laying people off, and that was really the reason I decided to leave. I, I was like, I want to do something else right now in my career. I saw the value of really thinking through the human experience that people go through during that kind of a transition. So I feel kind of like my career and life and business life has come a little bit full circle that some of those really odd experiences all layered into one now really help me make my little corner of the world a better place because I have an, a strong passion to use that uh, variety of experiences to benefit people. And I have a true passion for helping particularly people who are just good at doing their job and don't particularly like to talk about the job they do or don't particularly like to, quote, sell themselves in an interview I certainly have been that person. I've gotten more comfortable over the years, but um, I've also been that HR recruiter who's sometimes gone out on a limb and gone to a hiring manager and said, I know this person's a good employee. They're just not giving me anything <laughs> to hang my hat on, but do me a favor, interview them. And I'm pretty confident they're going to be a great employee. So I feel like this opportunity now of having my own firm and providing outplacement support, and I've done it for another large organization for the past five years, um, but I'm now doing it on my own and kind of can use all of that experience in a very, you might say, rounded and comprehensive manner to really benefit individuals and benefit small. My passion is around helping small business owners small and medium-sized business owners and leaders to make this experience the best it can be in a difficult time. This is a very tough industry. And Iris, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Do you know, when did outplacement actually become a thing that people would do? Because well, I think when my parents were, of, well, my mom's still working. She's listening to this. She's 84 and still working. Wow. She'll be mad I said that. But like when, when my dad was working years and years and years ago, I don't think they ever had somebody that basically said, here's your pink slip and you were gone. When did somebody decide it was a good idea to help people out with this process? Right. I couldn't pin down the year, but it was sometime in the 80s. And really when it began, it really began kind of as a as an exec perk, executives only. And um, I've spoken with a, an executive who actually had outplacement in those days. And literally, the company doing the outplacement service at that time flew his coach to where he resided, which was across the country from Seattle to Phoenix. And that coach spent several days in his city, in the coachee's city, working with him one-on-one, -on -one, going through coaching. In some ways, it was a little bit more almost like a counseling scenario, you know. Um, certainly there is a time of, of helping someone move forward 
kind of mentally from separating from their company. But boy, has it morphed. It, you know, now most things are delivered virtually. In fact, what's interesting, I read a recent study from 2016 that says the virtual coaching experience is actually more highly valued by the individual receiving the service. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the the world we've gotten used to, the Amazon, the Netflix, hey, let's let's access this service on my time at flexible times of the day, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it got a higher level of engagement, a much higher level of satisfaction, something in the 26 to 28% higher satisfaction for virtual. So it has certainly morphed over time. But I believe, to your point, Mac, I believe it began sometime in the 80s, but it was a very different service. It was exceptionally pricey, and now it's really strangely reasonable. Well, yeah, it's sadly something that we're going to probably need a lot of. I think for most listeners, the first exposure they ever had to this, if they were not actually a participant or like a receiver of it, might have been the movie with George Clooney, um, Up in the Air. I think that was like 08, 09, if I remember right. Did you see that one, Iris? I didn't. I'm yeah, not sure. Can you tell see me about it, I think see it because I think you'll laugh at it. It's basically George Clooney does outplacement, but he's flies first class and he's in a suit and he's, yeah, I mean, because I was working at the time, uh, it was during the recession for probably the very same outfit that you've done some work with. And yes. I thought, boy, I know I'm not making this kind of money and I'm certainly not flying. And by the way, flying is not as glamorous as George Clooney makes it out to be. <laughs> but I think a lot of people saw it as, so what happened is that his thing was he was on the road all the time. And then his outplacement became replaced by a virtual where they would actually, oh. you know, do it. Like, and and somebody had a meltdown. I'm ruining the plot, but go ahead and see it anyway. Okay, uh, where somebody actually had a meltdown and, and killed themselves. And that was when they shuttered all of the virtual and they wanted him and his colleagues to go back out to deliver this horrible message. Oh my and, and I think that's where a lot of people thought, well, outplacement is glamorous. It's not. Mm. It's a God awful experience when mm. a person loses their job and I don't know if you ever had uh, this company that we've done business with calls it a notification where you actually have to do the dirty work of delivering the news, which is a really shitty thing to do, <laughs> but it's a, it's tough. And mm. what I want people to see is that companies may make this decision and it's not personal it's a business decision, but like you said, Iris, it's very personal mm-hmm. and it's tough and it's hard. And I, I love the fact that you are making this, a focus of your business because you're coming alongside somebody when they're at their almost lowest point. Absolutely. I have had several um, individuals tell me um, that this upended their life more than any other single event they've ever encountered. A former senior vice president of a bank and um, he had always kind of played by the rules, you know, and um, he, um, yeah, and we had one month to work together because that's what his former employer paid for. And, uh, you know, he then reached back out to me when uh, a friend of his son was having trouble getting placed, uh, graduating college. And and he has just, his life has been forever changed by it. I mean, he, he says that, not, not me. And sometimes I'm a little humbled by it. Certainly not amused. But, you know, sometimes you don't know the impact 
of just some small bits of encouragement or keeping tabs on somebody. So I think the experience of having someone kind of in your boat when the storm has just, you know, poked a hole in your, in your boat, whatever size boat that would be, um, can be very empowering because I think one of the toughest parts of losing, losing a job is that isolation it causes. And when you have someone who's there saying, okay, well, this is where it's at. Let's, let's uh, identify a path forward and I'm going to check on you and, and let's touch base in a week and, and, please do these things because, you know, then you'll see what's next here. And really kind of that accountability partner, coach, um, sometimes cheerleader, sometimes, as I remember one of my clients saying, uh, Iris did not baby me. (laughs) (laughs) She was a little tough on me, you know, so it's a very individualistic process to figure out how to make someone kind of reach what they need to find in themselves to, you know, to find a spot to move forward. And, and it's, it's just as varied as the individuals themselves. So that's a little bit of insight. But yeah, it's, it's so personal, even though it's kind of not personal on the business side. It's just a very weird dynamic. Why would a company, I mean, so I know it's the right thing to do to give somebody you're going to essentially have to take their job away to give them a resource. But what is in it for the company? Let's say that a company is letting people go because they they're running out of cash. Mm, yeah. I mean, why would you why would you even want to bother to bring somebody like yourself on board? What's the benefit for the company to do it other than maybe just to assuage their guilt? Sure. Well, I think a lot of, you know, owners or business leaders tend to think of it in that assuage your guilt mindset. Um, you've probably captured that really well with that phrase. But what's interesting in this space, it's, it is one of the clearest win-wins that I've ever encountered in my 20 plus years in the business world. And when you look at the statistics, um, and people don't usually make this decision based on statistics, but if you choose to, an employee typically lands a new role in half the time when they get this kind of support. So from a business standpoint, that means that the unemployment tax rate takes a very different, uh, hits a very different number when that person lands in half the time. So that's probably the big one. The other one, which is a surprising outcome, and this is from one of the most recent studies done, employee morale for those employees that are still in your organization, which is usually where there's a big concern. Hey, how do we want to retain those assets? Well, the morale goes up something like 12 points when you give their former coworkers some support. Mm. And, you know, it's when you really step back, there is some logic to it. So the unintent, the you might say harder to quantify aspect is really around, if you will, your employer brand you're retaining and sometimes building your reputation within the local community. If someone feels like they were thrown out with much, without much support, if you want to think of it in that way, they're going to share that information with their friends, their coworkers, uh, their new coworkers. And that's going to hurt that company's ability to recruit in the future as just well as kind of the community image. 
So while someone might do it for the point of assuaging guilt or feeling like that's really the big one, really from every angle, it's going to pay your dividends way more than what you'd spend on outplacement. So it's it's a clear win-win. Well, I agree. I think I think it was Mark Cuban that said I've read him somewhere on LinkedIn where, you know, the this this recession, which I guess we we probably could call it one, is going to really define what people think about companies based on how they've handled it. And I think that you know, certainly during the recession, when I was doing a little outplacement, I would hear stories of, you know, how did you find out? These are from people that were not clients. And I said, yeah, it was great. I tried to log into my computer and I couldn't mm. and I couldn't figure it out. I called the help desk. Nobody would answer. And then somebody showed up with one of those little white boxes. You know, you put your stuff in there, your mm. knickknacks and whatever. And that was how they were notified. Mm. So imagine that. And I mean, I, I have no, I don't have a uh, you know, a window into the mindset of whoever came up with this plan. But I would imagine that nobody who was let go would ever entertain coming back to that company, nor would they ever tell their friends. And of course, the recession was back before you had, um, you know, Glassdoor and places like that. Right. It's, uh, it's really pivotal. You know, it's really a very small investment for a very long term and short term gain tax rate, brand, uh, future future recruiting opportunity or future positioning in the marketplace. I think, uh, I think if, if companies are rushing right now, which I certainly understand that it's critical to be thoughtful, you know, as, as uh, a respected leader, I follow sometimes to say you have to slow down to go quickly. And I think right now is the time to say, okay, we are going to have to lay off people. I think a lot of companies are going to wrestle and get there, but don't let that urgency cloud kind of your long-term wisdom of making the right decisions right now. In your experience working with executive teams, do majority of them really wrestle and, and lose sleep at night knowing they're going to have to make these cutbacks? Or do you find that some of them are just saying it needs to get done, it's not personal, and then just kick it down to the HR department. What have you seen? Because I've not really experienced that. I'm kind of yeah. curious. Well, what I've seen, it was primarily at the tech organization. I saw senior leaders lose a lot of sleep or struggle in meetings around seeing someone's name on the list that perhaps they had worked with, you know, side by side, maybe earlier in their career. So it, it was all very, hey, this must be done until it got down to the point of perhaps looking at a name list on a spreadsheet. And then it was a lot of wrestling and a lot of struggle. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone uh, goes into this as a, as a business leader that I've seen saying, hey, it just needs to happen unless they're working from a space where they kind of insulated themselves from the rest of the organization. And those leaders usually aren't long-term successful. So most of the time, yeah, they do have that human element. They don't want to do it, but understand it might be necessary given particular circumstances. Yeah. No, it's got to be one of the hardest thing that somebody does. In your experience, Iris, what put somebody on the chopping block? What are some of the factors that like right now, if I'm working for a company, should I start really paying attention? Are there certain things you can look for? 
Well, you've asked the magical and, in my opinion, unanswerable question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why I asked you, because I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, my experience is, no, there really isn't. Mm -hmm. Let me... And, you know, there might be an exception to that. There might be, hey, our division underperformed. So, you know, we're probably going to be out or in this, you know, in this situation, the pandemic, well, this is no longer so relevant going forward, you know, or something like that. And, you know, there might be certain scenarios that would dictate. But what I've seen, particularly over the last five years or so doing this work heavily is sometimes it seems to defy logic. For example, I mean, there is a logic, but from the receiver standpoint, I've seen one of the highest producing salespeople in a particular pharma company lose their job. And it was simply a matter of geographic kind of redistricting. So the decision was executed by someone, you know, many layers removed. And, you know, when they say it's not a performance issue, I think, I think 15, 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more, it it was performance issues that kind of got rolled up into a layoff. In the last 10 years, it's it's often nothing to do with performance. And that's quite honestly what makes it, I think, so much harder for, say, the HR managers or leaders or the individual supervisor, who is typically the one having to communicate that message. And, um, you know, in normal times, so to speak, you know you've worked with someone who's had a performance issue and they've kind of earned their way, <laughs> so to speak, into this discussion about, wow, it's it's time to, you know, part ways here. So it can be especially, you might say, difficult psychologically, emotionally from a human angle to have a conversation with someone who's been a stellar performer and you don't want to let them go, but this is, you know, this is a decision that for a variety of reasons is the one being made. And you're the one facing that person and having to deliver that message. It can be, it can be really, really tough. So you want to reach out and get some support. Uh, one of my, one of the people who has become my best friend, um, so we originally met and it was during a reduction. And she said, you gave me some words of advice that ring true to my mind these many years later. And it's like 18 years later. And she says, I'll never forget you said this as I was preparing to go into that meeting. And I said, oh, really? And she said, yep, I still use that phrase. (laughs) And I can't quote what it is now, but, you know, reach out and get the support you need if you're in that role, either as a supervisor or manager, and don't let it happen kind of without you getting some, what I would call kind of physical practice. And this sounds, you might say, so simplistic and maybe in a certain way um, overdone. But my experience is if you're the person delivering the message to someone, one of the best things you can do for yourself and for the other person is to verbally, you might say it out loud. You'll probably be given, you know, if you're the one needing to deliver a message to an employee, You'll probably be giving either talking points or a script or some kind of guidance from your leaders, from your HR team, wherever it might come from. Don't just read that. Literally go in your closet at home or wherever it needs to be and practice saying it and letting it kind of come out of your mouth. Because sometimes if you don't, 
when it comes out of your mouth, you're kind of surprised. I mean, you're not, but it's kind of, it's harder when you hear it. And you're going to have plenty going on in that moment where you want to be able to, you know, just pay attention to the person that you're delivering this message to and not be tempted to say something that you're going to regret or, or can't follow through on. And sometimes just letting it roll off your tongue and kind of getting it out there, the reality of, you know, what you need to be doing can set in. And then you can be more, you might say, authentically there, present in the moment without, you know, getting your own nerves into the jumble of their reaction. So it sounds kind of simplistic, but it's fairly powerful. Well, I agree with that. Um, back when I was doing some of this work in the recession, there was a, uh, it was a, I'm trying to, I want to say this without specifically, but it was a company that did medical stuff. And so I was sitting at the front along with some of the other HR people. And of course I was there because that company I was contracting with was going to offer support. And so this, mm -hmm. the general manager gets up with, like you said, the talking points and begin to read them, not mm -hmm. even looking at the audience. So I'm watching the audience mm -hmm. who they don't really know why they're in the room. There's about 40 people. Mm -hmm. And you could see them like this excitement of, hey, I wonder what's happening to like this, like, what the hell was that? Mm -hmm. To like, oh my God. And that, as soon as that guy was done reading, he dropped the script and headed out the door. Oh my God. And I thought, wow. Okay. So, you know, then of course me, I have to sweep up all the broken glass from oh that. And people really, it was done poorly. And I, and I don't know him, I guess in his defense, this is not the easiest news you have to give out. So yeah, please, if you're listening to this podcast today, you better be a good human because karma's a bitch and it's going <laughs> to come back to you. So Iris, for an HR leader who has to actually do this horrible thing, a layoff, and maybe it's the first time in their career, what piece of advice would you offer them? Wow, you're going to have a lot of things coming at you. <laughs> However, I would ask you to stay true to the part about being in charge of the human experience. So resist the temptation to let other stakeholders kind of drive certain decisions. For example, you're going to have a lot of guidance and detail and scrutiny probably from the legal department or whatever the equivalent would be in your organization. Security is likely to have a lot of issues and concerns. Um, you know, workplace violence, that's a really important and relevant concern. However, I would urge you not to let those very important considerations and realistic factors that you're going to have to account for blur over the fact that these people had value to your organization the day before and they felt they had value the day before. So I would strongly encourage you to craft an experience where they know they still have value because they're going to remember this day for the rest of their lives. And how that experience plays out, they're going to dissect. And if you can craft it with some measure of shared control, it is so much better. Let me give a for instance. I worked at the IT company. Security was a huge issue. Certain employees had access to the largest real-time private computer system in the world. 
it was the it was the kind of system they had to have a retina scan to access each day when they went in, went to lunch, came back. So security is a very real issue. So we had to take certain measures uh, in place. However, we look for ways to share control, such as when they're exiting, do they want to go back to their desk or would they prefer just to leave now and they could meet someone, come back after hours and pick up their items privately? Or would they like to have their items mailed to them? Certainly don't have to press them for a decision at that particular moment. They're going to be likely pretty overwhelmed, very emotional lots of times, not always, but often. So look at your process and think about it from, you might say, the end user experience, the employee. Do whatever you can to help keep their dignity intact. And typically you do that through finding small but important steps where you can share some control without completely compromising security or legal matters. So you, you have a critical role. Don't let the incoming advice and expertise, if you will, that you're getting from other corners ground out your own voice about protecting the experience for the employee and for basically the former employee. They'll remember it forever. So of all the things, that's, I think, the one big takeaway, I would say, for first time for people going through this. So, Iris, let me ask you this. You've you've delivered this kind of news and you've had people who have had this news delivered to them, you know, and you've seen it. So what phases do people go through? Let's say you were somebody who was just laid off. Do people follow a pattern like they say the stages of grief? Is that kind of similar? How do, how do you normally see it play out? Oh, absolutely. It, if you follow that Kubler-Ross five stages of grief, it absolutely follows that arc. And everybody has their own timeline on, on that arc, um, as, as she discusses in her research. I have worked with people who, uh, I th I'm thinking of one particular person who had a six-month support program. And literally in our last meeting, um, she pretty much said, I think I'm finally over my anger. And, um, you know, I kind of wish I would gotten over it earlier because now, you know, my active service is concluded and I haven't really done anything. And then I've seen, you know, other people kind of move on because they kind of have to, to get back out there and search. But the denial, the anger, you know, the the depth of kind of, it may or may not be depression, but, it, you know, some kind of reconciling and then finding legs for their new normal, so to speak, is a very individual experience in terms of timing. But it's, it is something everyone goes through in any significant loss. And obviously, let's face it, a job loss usually cuts at our core most deeply when compared to other kinds of, of losses, uh, particularly our identity. So it, it is huge and it definitely follows that, that grief. There is often some bargaining, um, but you want to help a person get through to that 
new space where they find some silver lining about going forward. And I think that's why career transition or outplacement, whatever term you use, has those effective statistics that follow it because it helps people kind of move through that, hey, now I need to look forward. And I guess it's another reason. I mean, I have seen it as another reason why it's logical for employers to provide it. Um, I can think of a case just three months ago where I spent um, my first, this was, <laughs> this was in person, <laughs> a first in-person meeting. Um, I usually do an in-person and then uh, if possible and, and then do virtual from there. This person was not ready for me to share any ideas. And I realized about 10 minutes into the conversation, he just needed to absolutely be listened to. So that's what I did for pretty much our whole first meeting. And by the end of our time together, three months later, um, he was just, I don't want to say ecstatic, but he was very settled and he had completely different outlook. So I think that support along the path is what helps people move forward and it helps people land in half the time statistically. Now we'll see, you know, in this new, this new normal, whatever that emerges to be, I think it will be even more crucial to have that kind of support because the time is so uncertain. Iris, take us through um, a meeting with you. So let's just say that I've lost my job and my company has engaged with you. Mm -hmm. And so what would that meeting look like with you? I customized that first conversation, of course, to each individual, because initially I'm going to have some some small pieces of information about them. And depending how the company has decided to engage services, they might have already been through a career transition boot camp, which is a virtual experience that helps them work through and get guidance on their resume, their LinkedIn uh, some of the elements of job search strategy, particularly around how to do that in a digital situation. So assuming they have engaged and have kind of that context, we will usually have a conversation where I primarily want to make sure I get a good, if you will, download on what they feel like their strengths are, what their caveats or concerns about, what they consider kind of their Achilles heel if they're open to relocation and kind of some idea of what they want to put out there as kind of their brand. And that's often a really hard thing for people to do. So I usually prompt or give them some prompts to start thinking about what makes you different in the space than other people who may have been, say, an electrical engineer. And that's one of those things that's almost impossible for someone to do by themselves in a vacuum, uh, because that shift in perspective of, hey, this is my career, this is what I've done. And I help them, you might say, move around to the other side of the desk and say, how are we going to communicate to the reader in a way that helps them immediately see what you've done? So I kind of make the analogy, or I do. So your resume is like a movie trailer. All we want to do in your resume is really get get enough attention, get enough eyeballs time on the resume for them to want more. And once your movie trailer has captured their interest, then, then the interview comes or actually the full length feature. 
So, you know, we work on how they can talk about themselves without the internal, you may company acronyms or jargon they've been used to discussing their past experience with and kind of trim that and then be able to speak in the language of accomplishments and results because accomplishments and results is what really helps a future employer get them or understand them. So it's kind of reworking that brand and helping them kind of pull out and avoid, you know, tired phrases like results-driven, strong organizational skills. And, you know, people tend to come to the experience with those cliches and the cliches just really don't cut it. So, you know, that first process is, is, um, kind of giving them the overview, perhaps they've been through the career transition camp, and then those one-on-ones really kind of begins to help them define their brand. And then more, you know, comes later with additional sessions around strategy and and uh, getting comfortable with interviewing. Has Have you ever experienced people might have a misconception of what you do, like, oh, I'm going to go see Iris, she's going to write me a resume and get me a job? Do oh, yeah. Ever, yeah. Absolutely. That's the biggest misconception because people most of the time when they enter a program or enter service, think, oh, my gosh, this is a recruiter. She's going to shop my resume. Mm -hmm. No, it's much broader than that. Really, this is kind of instead of catching a fish for you, I teach you how to fish. And it's skills that you can retain, obviously, the rest of your career. When a previous employer provides this training, people really see it as, wow, this training is really just for me. I've never encountered someone who's dedicated to help me figure out my brand, how to talk about myself, how to get over, you know, this discomfort of explaining how I got things done. And, you know, I get feedback years later of, yeah, I'm just more confident with that now. It's amazing. You know, in the time I did a similar role that you are now, there's still probably 10 people uh, that are connected with me on LinkedIn who have to this day, and we're talking what, let's see, 2008 to, so what, 12 years, Mm. longer than that, Mm. who are still, and who have moved three or four positions from the one they found after we engaged. And they become really, I think, fans for life. And so um, I, I think it's you've done this, Iris. You've you've gotten people at their most vulnerable. You've helped them dust off and get back in the fight. And I don't think they'll ever forget you. Well, all of this, Iris, has been really, really helpful. I think you've made the case for a company really taking the time and spending the resources to make this a healthy transition. So let me ask you, Iris, how would a company or individuals reach out to you for your services? What would that look like? Well, I'm pretty easy to reach. The easiest way, perhaps, is to to look at my website, which is called IC for iriscolp-growth, icgrowth.com. And there's a time you can schedule just a complimentary discovery conversation. You can also text, and I um, have a few resources I can send out on a complimentary basis. So you can text your email to the number 42828, that's 42828. And then when it, you input your email and then you put in the code IRIS, I-R-I-S, and it's that simple, then you're on a, a, a list and I would know, my team would know how to send that information to you. 
So those are a couple of easy ways. I will say that even if your company doesn't provide kind of formal outplacement support, I have just revamped something I've offered in person in the past. So I've revamped it for a virtual delivery. And that is, uh, I'm calling it a boot camp for a career transition boot camp that goes through resume interviewing search strategies, as well as LinkedIn. And for the first group, I'm going to be doing a virtual complimentary one-on-one coaching session. So you can um, sign up with that on any of my social media outlets, um, Facebook and so forth. If you aren't, and it's under 250, and if it's an early bird, it's it's a little under, I think, 225, something like that. So I've made it really reasonable. In normal times, it's going to be close to 1,000, but with doing things virtually and just knowing that there's probably going to be people who don't get that support from their former employer, I'm trying to make it more widely available. No, I think that's fine, and I think that's fair. It's one of those things that... You owe it to yourself to get back in this game. And I guess if there's a company out there too, Iris, do you offer your services through a company to be able to, as they're getting ready to lay people off where they can do it and do it a whole lot better? Yes, that's for sure. I have unfortunately been through way too many structures of layoff and I have specific advice around how to make that process more human. And I'd be happy to share that. Um, you know, if you just want to contact me, we can just have an initial conversation. You know, no commitment. I can bounce around a few ideas with you. And if you are looking for some just additional support in this time, I, I can build packages customized to any company uh, in terms of what they want to offer or just provide extra support to the HR team who's likely have a lot of people and things coming at them right now. Yeah, I agree. And I want to just really stress to the companies who are having HR people listen to this today that this will end. I have no idea what life after COVID-19 is going to look like. Um, All I know is that the sun will eventually come up and people will go back to work. And how you treat people during this time is going to be how people see you when that time comes. And so I would highly recommend you take Iris up on her offers, definitely reach out to her. Again, I guess you text your email to 42828, use the code IRIS, and IRIS will get you on a list where on a email list where you can get resources. It's very important. IRIS, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about these very uncomfortable things today, but we appreciate your wisdom and experience. You've done this before. You've seen this happen, and that's I think that's one of the best things that we can do is those of us who have seen a recession and mass layoffs, we also know that the sun does shine the next day and eventually we pull out of it. And so what you do today is going to be crucial. Iris, thank you so much for you taking the time to it's be on the show. Pleasure. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, you can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review. Positive, of course, it really helps us out. 
So with that, take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever. Mm -hmm.